residues on California product are extremely low. Um, and most of the produce where we find residues beyond tolerance are coming from out of state and most from outside of the country. The, the state has a significant priority on adopting and really accelerating the adoption of safer and more sustainable pest management practices to better protect public health and the environment while also maintaining a thriving agricultural sector. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. When we talk about food and reaching the table, you know, fortunately, we don't worry a lot about the safety of the food and, and Probably more of us need to be thinking about how it's produced. And, and there are areas we have to keep an eye on. Well, it's the job of some agencies in government to help with that, particularly uh, pesticides. Wouldn't it be nice if all you had to do was plant things and they just grow up and they'd be safe and delicious and everything, but there are bugs and diseases and all sorts of things that we have to deal with. And so there are pesticides. And there's an agency that is trying to see common sense and safety put into place. It's called, in California, it's called the Department of Pesticide Regulation. We call it fondly DPR. And I'm really happy to welcome Julie Henderson this morning, who is the director of DPR. Julie, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Well, thanks very much, Roger. It's great to be here. You know, Julie, people listen to Farm to Table Talk and they sometimes are hearing, you know, farmers or hearing people that are selling products to farmers. We're hearing consumers. I've got an interview with a chef that is sourcing product. And and I think to our credit, we feel pretty good that most of what we're getting is is safe and uh, it's something that we can we can count on. But that doesn't come easy. And and that gets into your area. Now you've been recently confirmed, you've been involved in these areas before with the Environmental Protection Agency uh, work in, in the state of California, and and now you're directing this this area. What's the purpose of this Department of Pesticide Regulation? Department of Pesticide Regulation even exists. So, Roger, we are one of six um, boards, departments, and offices in the California Environmental Protection Agency. And like our sister boards, departments, and offices, our high-level mission is to protect public health and the environment. And the context in which we do that is in managing pests um, in agricultural settings, urban settings, and in the wildlife and urban interface. And um, the way in which we're charged with doing that is by both regulating pesticide use, as well as by promoting um, practices that um, are reduced risk ways of managing pests. And what we're really focused on now um, is maintaining, of course, the rigorous regulatory structure we have, but really elevating the focus on promoting safer and more sustainable pest management practices. So when you talk about that, trying to regulate these products, so when we're talking, and then we're talking about pests, 
the, those pests are not necessarily just for produce, right? So it's a, it's beyond. Does it include animals? Correct. Um, so if you've got a tick collar for your cat or dog, um, but it also, you know, I, I think commonly people, when people think about pesticides, they think about agriculture, um, but there are also pests that, um, whether they're insect pests, weeds, um, plant pests, or disease pests, um, the ways in which those are managed um, are regulated by the department. Um, and, and that that's in agricultural settings, that's in landscape management, that's in, you know, household products if you're controlling ants or other, other pests in your home. Um, and so as we're looking to try to promote um, really a statewide adoption of safer and more sustainable ways of managing pests, we're looking at that both in agricultural and in urban settings. Because I would imagine there's people listening to this right now that have had personal experiences that they saw a spider in their house and they were off to Home Depot to buy gallons of whatever looked good that it was that, was, that they saw. And and when you're faced with something that concerns you, like, you know, spiders or aphids or something, especially the untrained are just going to say, boy, if a little bit of this is good, a lot more of it's even better. Uh, so claims made or information made by companies making these products, do you get into regulating that of what they're putting on, putting on labels, uh, you know, say like, don't use too much of this, you know, enough is enough or, you know, that sort of thing. So um, maybe just to step back, um, the, the process of, um, sales and use of pesticides is, is at the outset regulated by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. And so that agency does a, an evaluation of um, the safety of a particular chemical that's used as a pesticide and controls what the label um, of that pesticide says. Um, and then prior to use or sale in California, pesticides have to be reviewed by our department. And in addition to um, conditions that are reviewed by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, we also review for California specific conditions. And so, you know, weather conditions may be different here. Um, other, other types of conditions um, for the use of pesticides may differ um, from those in different parts of the country. And so we may um, have additional restrictions on the use of a particular pesticide in California. Um, and then, so the label, um, often there's a, a saying, the label is the law. And so the way in which a pesticide can be used is really um, determined um, by what the label says. So that's an interesting point. And that's one that some people get concerned about California because they feel like California is a place that maybe has excessive regulations and you hear it criticized, but, uh, but you actually do have some different. I mean, you can raise the bar. You can't lower the bar. Would that be safe right. to say? That's correct. So you could say, okay, this is good enough for regulation. I don't say good enough. I don't mean to be dismissive of it, but this is a regulation that applies across the country. But for various reasons in California, there may be a higher bar for different products. And does that exist on quite a few different products that they um, that it, it is more regulated in California than some other states? Well, I think so. I guess I, just to take a step back to, um, 
you know, we have many, many scientists in our agency um, who are focused on different aspects of both human health impacts as well as environmental impacts of the use of pesticides. And there are different levels of um, restriction depending on um, the, the risk associated with the use of a particular pesticide. So some pesticides that present um, greater potential risk are more heavily regulated. And so those um, they're referred to as restricted material pesticides, and they require a permit um, to be obtained from a local county agricultural commissioner um, prior to use. And so um, there's just a, a, a greater degree of um, oversight of pesticides that carry more risk um, than lower toxicity products. So that's an interesting dimension, too. So there's county level uh, relationships and the county ag commissioners have role to play. My understanding is that not all states have county ag commissioners. Is that, that fair to say? That's that's my understanding. Um, I think California, I think, has a, has a unique structure. And so in each of our 58 counties, um, there are agricultural commissioners who oversee local use enforcement. So we have um, a regulatory structure set up in California for the use of pesticides. Um, and, and we at the Department of Pesticide Regulation at the state level have oversight of that structure. And then the local county agricultural commissioners oversee um, use and enforce pesticide laws at the local level. So how does that affect, say, at the farmer level? So if a farmer has a plan that he's going to be applying some pesticides in, in, in some way, uh, is it their job to be certain that they're in compliance with the the county level uh, interpretation, or do they have to initiate some registration of of a practice or a, something that they're going to be applying to their farm? So, regulation the the state regulatory structure and um, so laws and regulations that affect um, pesticide use in California are for the most part, you know, standard across California. Um, what happens at the local level is, you know, in the case, for example, of these restricted material pesticides, um, their application may depend on current weather conditions, soil conditions that are particular to the local geographic area. And so in that case, the local county agricultural commissioner, you know, will have oversight of the application in that particular setting. And so that differs from county to county, um, given the you know, great diversity of our state and different, different um, you know, conditions in different counties. And so that's where um, practices may differ from county to county, depending on weather conditions, soil conditions, et cetera. Um, but the overall regulatory structure um, is, is the same throughout California. So is it the farmer's job to, to know or to be using a certified you know, pest, somebody that's been trained to apply pesticides. So is that their responsibility to know what the rules and regulations are in their particular county that they're doing the right thing? Correct. And, um, you know, both we as a department and um, the agricultural commissioners, you know, do outreach and education to support um, farmers and, and also to ensure that worker health and safety laws are carried out. So, 
there's there's you know the the particular application of the pesticide, but then you know there there also is the consideration um, to ensure that farm workers um, who are you know potentially applying pesticides or who are working um, in fields around pesticides um, are safe in the way that they're doing their work. Well, and those farm workers don't always read English. How do you deal with that? Correct. And so, um, you know, the education and outreach, um, it's important that, that that is provided in languages that are accessible to farm workers. Um, and so there are, you know, a number, we do a lot of outreach and education. We have a whole branch um, dedicated to worker health and safety that does a lot of outreach um, to farm workers um, in languages that are um, appropriate. You know, I can imagine that uh, some people view that they have um, a small farm just in their own backyards, and there's more and more people that are just proud of the fact that they've got a little farm, that they're starting to farm their yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at, at what stage do you really become a farmer? And does it does it vary? Because, you know, somebody say, well, I've just, I've got this small plot, and maybe it's even an acre or two, but uh, do they can assume that they have different rules to go by than somebody that's got, you know, a hundred acres or, or something like that. I don't know if I got that quite right, but it just, it almost seems like there's a scale of when mm-hmm. are you like a commercial farmer that's going to be paying attention to these things and should be watching it versus mm-hmm. somebody that just a kind of a, a large yard or large gardens and so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, the laws don't vary depending on farm size, but I think where potentially where you're going, and I think when it comes to pesticide use, there are certain these restricted material pesticides are not, you, you can't just go into Home Depot and buy them if you're not a commercial applicator. So there are limitations on sales that um, you know restrict restrict use. So, but I think you're getting at a really important point, Roger, um, and and particularly as we think about the state's priority on promoting and, and really trying to accelerate the use of safer and more sustainable pest management practices, what we're recognizing is that we really have to think about the smaller and medium-sized farmers who don't have the same kind of access um, to education and, and um, technical support for using these safer practices. And that's definitely something that, that we, um, along with the Department of Food and Agriculture, are, are really focusing on. You know, some people would say, well, I'm just going to be an organic farmer. I'm just going to buy from an organic farmer because they, they assume that they're not using traditional pesticides. But do you um, do you are there products that you regulate that are really used and approved in organic production? So there are um, products that are used in organic production um, that are lower toxicity. Um, I think that there is a, a common misconception that um, their pesticides are never used in organic production, but it is there are lower toxicity products um, that are used and regulated. So they're regulated too, which, and one thing I think it's important at this stage to pull back in is there's people listening to this that aren't in California. Uh, and in fact, they may not even be in the United States because we have, I've ever once while here from listeners from, from around the world, but almost all of them are sometime, probably almost every day are eating products from California. So I think that's kind of interesting to, to point out because 
you have a system that's affecting really the um, the safety of food consumed in uh, New York or Melbourne or Tokyo, because uh, 60 to 70% of a lot of the produce that's consumed in America is coming from California. Much Many products around the world are, consu- are coming from California. So the standards of, of safety that you're putting into effect here really go beyond our borders, don't they? Well, it's a, it's a really good point, Roger. Um, yes. <laughs> um, and, and I think the, the, the standards and laws that we have um, in place, uh, many point to as, as really being um, the, among the most protective. And um, really, we're, we're looking both at uh, the way in which pesticides are applied that affect um, the health and safety of people around them and, and our environment, but also to your point, you know, residues that may um, remain on products if, if, if those um, pesticides are not used uh, in the proper way. And um, those standards are set, residue levels are set at the federal level, um, but we monitor um, for residues on produce in California um, as part of our regulatory system here in, in the state. So you could take any of these, let's say, produce in particular I'm thinking of right now, and you're testing all the time and seeing if, the, if residues levels are approaching a level that's, that's unsafe. And if you determine that they are, what do you do? So if we determine um, that uh, produce has um, a level beyond the, the safe level that's set at the federal level, then um, we can quarantine that produce um, and that's, that's not safe. And so that's, that's the effective um, approach to dealing with residues that are, are unsafe. You know, I know in, there's some other agencies that deal with, say, um, say with meat, you know, like uh, E. coli or listeria or something like that. And then there's a recall. And when they do that, they make an announcement and saying, you know, watch where you're this and that. Do you do that sort of thing? I mean, if you determined that there was residues beyond a safe level, do you issue what press releases, put it, uh, you know, get, get the word out? How do you get the word out to say that uh, we're addressing an, an issue here or, or identify a potential problem area to the public? Well, the, 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 the initial and primary um, step is to quarantine produce that we determine is unsafe. And then um, we look at the distribution, both the source and potential distribution of, of that shipment of produce. And so it really, it really depends on um, it, it, kind of the nature of the, of the, uh, mm-hmm. of the, of the level of residue and, 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 it's then evaluated once it's quarantined and then depending on whether it can be treated, if it's a residue that can be washed away, it, there are different, different steps and, and um, ways of evaluating the produce once it's quarantined. And so it's both looking at what we've tested and also looking at where else might be produce that was part of that shipment that could potentially also be affected. So um, there are a number of different um, elements of, of uh, the evaluation of the potential residue that exceeds a, a safe limit. Well, and, and in fact, kind of along those same lines, you've you got a new program um, a, that approaches statewide pesticide notification. Is that of, of, of issues developing or a way to connect uh, all the key players in the state? 
So the the statewide um, notification system that we're developing um, really grew out of community interest in having more information about pesticide applications that are happening near them. Um, and so when we step back and think about um, the regulatory structure we have in place, um, you can sort of look at this as, um, you know, an additional element um, that supplements the regulatory structure that we have uh, to ensure that pesticide use is safe. Um, and so this notification system that we're developing is really going to be designed to provide the public with information about the application of certain pesticides before they take place. And so we're in the process now of developing that statewide system. We have a number of pilots that are testing out different elements of that system. Those were in Riverside County, in Santa Cruz, Stanislaus, and Ventura. And those are being run by the local county agricultural commissioners. And those pilots um, will feed into uh, the, our design of the statewide system. We're also in the midst of um, a, a pretty extensive public engagement process to get input from the public about the development of the system. Yeah, so many programs going on. You you also have a you're developing a roadmap. That's a sustainable pest management roadmap. Um, what's that? So um, the the state has, as I mentioned earlier, a very significant priority on adopting and really accelerating the adoption of safer and more sustainable pest management practices to better protect public health and the environment, while also maintaining a thriving agricultural sector. And so really what that's focused on um, is both in agricultural and urban settings, um, using pest management approaches that promote health and safety, ecosystem resilience, agricultural sustainability, community well-being, and economic vitality. So we're really trying to look holistically um, at how we can manage pests in a way that's safe um, and sustainable. And also as part of that, we want to make sure that all farms, you know, in an agricultural setting that are large and small, have equal and adequate access to the support and resources they need to implement those sustainable practices. So this gets to the point that you were raising earlier, Roger, of ensuring that um, it's not just the larger farms that are able to um, adopt these practices, but that we're really also focusing on smaller and medium-sized farms that may have different needs in terms of support and resources. You know, I can see how in agriculture they can get a little defensive sometimes because they think, well, wait a minute, you say it needs to be more sustainable, but I'm sustainable right now. I mean, there are some farms that are probably, um, you know, rightly proud of what of what they're doing and feel a little defensive when you, because they feel like if you're communicating to the public that we're we're going to, it's going to be more sustainable, it's going to be better they fear that it might be suggesting that the supply is not safe right now. Um, and, and I look at that and I just think, well, you know, maybe they have a point, but uh, I understand how they don't want to be over-regulated, but I also think they should be um, kind of heartened by your comment of wanting to see thriving agriculture is not too. So it's a, it's a tricky balancing act that you must have of, of trying to make sure that you know it's safe and yet you want farmers to be able to profit grazing products and, and not be too extreme either. So you must face that balancing act every time you come to the office. 
Um, well, it's a good point. There's there's a lot of balancing, and I think you know part of the way that we're approaching this um, this work of of trying to. And I, I should maybe step back for a second and say that. Um, there's a lot going on in California now that um, really ha has focused on safe and sustainable ways of, of um, conducting agriculture and in managing pests. There are many organic and regenerative farms in California. There are many conventional farms that use organic practices that may not be fully organic. And there are many farms that practice what we call integrated pest management that really focuses on the use of, um, you know, the least toxic approach to managing a pest um, that's effective as possible. And so what we're really trying to do is broaden that adoption um, and, and have it be more of a system-wide approach across the state. And so in order to, to try to do that, um, we, along with um, the Cal EPA and um, the Department of Food and Agriculture in California, put together a working group um, with a diverse, uh, very diverse membership with both conventional and organic farmers, others in the agricultural sector, academics, researchers, and members of the community, environmental advocates, um, and, and tribal representatives, as well as um, other government representatives to come together and develop a roadmap um, and plan for how we can have a holistic system-wide adoption of these safer and more sustainable practices, both in agricultural and urban settings. Yeah. So do you have a combination of both carrots and sticks to be able to do that? So we are in the process of, of developing this roadmap, um, which we anticipate releasing uh, later um, this year in the fall. And what we're really focused on is really trying to identify what kind of support and resources are needed to be able to make that transition. And we recognize that it's not a transition that happens overnight um, to, to really focus on having, uh, you know, a, a sustainable resilient system that, that uses lower toxicity approaches is, is really a system-wide approach. And that's not something that you just flip a switch one day and you're using a pesticide and the next day you're not. And so we're looking both at, you know, timeframes of, of what, is reasonable, um, but also looking at the kind of support that's needed. Um, a number of the elements that we're focusing on um, include at the very highest level, how do you prevent pests? Because if you don't have pests being present, you don't need a pesticide. Um, so that's one approach. Um, we're also looking at what kind of resources are needed to develop alternative practices, um, as well as what kind of outreach and education is necessary. We have an incredible system at the University of California Agricultural and Natural Resources um, Division that has, um, you know, extension uh, support across the state. And they are a, a tremendous source of um, support to growers uh, to be able to use these alternative practices, as well as to conduct the research um, into developing alternatives. So um, want to make sure that we have that support going forward as well. Do you have any uh, input on to say products coming into the state? Say if it's imported from a country that doesn't have the standards that we have, or you identify uh, maybe and you're just sampling what's in supermarkets that you identify that there's residues from again some country that almost any country doesn't have regulations as high as we have here in California. 
But do you have a do you get involved there with products coming into the state? Yes, and um, thanks for thanks for um, n- noting that, Roger. So the work that we do in in testing, going and sampling um, at, at different locations, uh, produce for residues. Um, it, it, I should say that the cal- residues on California product are extremely low, like. I think 2%. Um, And most of the produce where we find um, residues beyond tolerance are coming from out of state um, and most from outside of the country. Um, And so that tends to be the the type of product that will end up being quarantined. It's 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 very it's rare that that is producing from California. When people drive out through agriculture, country in California, they see people in spacesuits sometimes. Whose job is it to regulate the applicators of, you know, of the, of the pesticides? So we also have um, a, a part of the department that is responsible for licensing pestis- licensing and certifying pesticide applicators. Um, and so there is um, there are educational requirements um, and, and, and regular uh, renewals of uh, those licenses. It's such a great area that you're covering. I mean, great in scale and in, in, in importance as, as well. How many people are employed or part of your extended team of DPR? So we have um, over 400 people in the department, um, and many of those, as I mentioned, are scientists who are doing everything from evaluating, you know, the potential health risks associated um, with pesticides. Other scientists are looking at the ecological, potential ecological impacts, impacts to air, water. Um, And then we also have, um, you know, a branch that's dedicated to enforcement to ensure that um, pesticide laws um, are complied with. Uh, as I mentioned, they work closely with the local county agricultural commissioners who are carrying out um, enforcement on the ground. Um, we have uh, part of the department that's focused on supporting the integrated pest management work, these lower toxicity approaches. And so that team is responsible for administering grants um, that that highlight, uh, both highlight the folks who are carrying out integrated pest management practices across the state and also provide grants for conducting research to develop new practices that are safer and more sustainable, as well as grants um, for outreach and education so that the practices that are developed are are, um, able to be adopted by broader uh, parts of the state. You know, it strikes me that that as we talk about this area that you're involved in, that it, it's ironic that the, the success is that nobody thinks about it. I mean, in that, when you sit down and order a, a salad, a really nice big salad, you might you might think about uh, whether or not you should get more Caesar dressing, knowing how many calories, but you're not worried about how many pesticides might be coming into it as well. Mm-hmm. that's something that we just take for granted. People are going to go out to eat and they haven't done as much of it as they're going to have to start doing again sometime or, <laughs> or pick something up at the store. And they can, like I say, think about things about how many calories are in that Caesar dressing that they're, they're putting on their salad, but they're not worried. And in part, they're not worried because there's all of this that's going on that is kind of out of sight and they've learned to trust it. 
that must give you a, a good feeling, although you might sometimes wish you were more appreciated. Well, I think, you know, Roger, I think we at the department um, are are constantly focusing on how how we're best protecting public health and the environment. And, um, you know, there's a very strong science foundation in the work that we do. And um, part of the department is responsibility is just to continuously evaluate what we're doing and, and continuously evaluate the safety from both a human health and an environmental perspective of um, pesticides that are used. And so um, I would say our job, our work is never done. And, you know, part of what we're also focusing very strongly on now is environmental justice and equity. And, you know, there are parts of the state that are, um, you know, have been more disproportionately burdened by all different types of um, sources of pollution. And so it's the, the, the safety of our food is, is obviously really critical. And we also want to make sure that we're focusing on um, the safety of, of our communities, the health and, and environment of our communities. And so that's a big part of uh, what we're focused on as well. So I assume you've identified that disadvantaged neighborhoods or areas uh, sometimes face more problems than than traditional com conventional large scale and fumbling around. But there was, you know, that that you've identified differences that that need to be considered as you're enforcing these regulations. Correct. And, you know, the the Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment um, at, at Cal EPA has actually developed a tool that's called Cal Screen, And that tool looks at pollution burdens of all kind, um, as well as other um, factors that influence um, health uh, of Californians. And there are, you know, parts of the state that definitely have been disproportionately burdened. And, and so as we're looking at areas of to focus our enforcement efforts, um, to your point, looking at those that really have been disproportionately burdened. And the other piece of it is, ensuring that we're engaging with those communities and hearing from them about concerns that they have. And we also have representation from those groups on this work group that I mentioned um, that is developing the roadmap for safer and more sustainable practices um, to make sure that we're incorporating their voices and they're a part of um, the planning for how we have a safer and more sustainable um, way of managing pests going forward in California. What an important role that you're playing for for food and the whole food chain and you can't make everybody happy there's some people that are saying that gee i wish they'd lighten up a little bit they're being too hard and then some other people i wish they would crack down a little bit i want to see more regulation it's all over the place there are some people listening to this that saying gee i wish i lived in california or i'm glad i'm getting california and then there's others that are saying glad i'm not there because they've got more more government than we want it's all over the place so as you find yourself in this position of leadership with DPR, the Department of Pesticide Regulations in California, um, how did you get here? Um, this wasn't one of these things that you were uh, a little girl growing up, say, someday I want to head a regulatory agency that deals with pe pesticides. Um, well, maybe before I go there, Roger, I, I do want to just maybe, I, I think, address your point about the balance. And, you know, I think a key part of my role is listening to all of our stakeholders. Um, you know, at the state level, that's our job. I mean, we have 
stakeholders from multiple different perspectives who are impacted by the work that we do. And, and so I consider that a really core function of mine is to make sure that I'm listening um, and hearing um, where people are coming from and bringing people together to find collaborative solutions. And that's really at the core of what we're doing um, with the Sustainable Pest Management Work Group. And, um, you know, as, as we talked about earlier um, in the podcast, uh, in, in protecting public health and the environment, um, we, we want to do that in a way that, that does support agriculture and, and, and allows us to have that continuing thriving industry that's so important um, to the state and, and to all Californians. And so, um, I think that to get to your question of what brought me here, um, you know, I started out as a lawyer and um, as a litigator, actually, and I think quickly determined that um, I, I would rather focus on trying to find constructive solutions to problems rather than um, fighting about them. And so um, I've worked in a number of different policy areas and, you know, ultimately really kind of came to the place of wanting to focus on the environment and health. And that's how I landed at the California Environmental Protection Agency and began my work there working with the Department of Pesticide Regulation and the Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment. And um, so spent a lot of time with DPR and with these issues and um, just find that they're they really impact everyone in California. Um, and it's just a really meaningful way for me and place for me to spend my time. And, and I'm just really excited to be here. Technologies are changing things too. I mean, you've talked about all the other challenges, but say for example, um, uh, CRISPR technology and, and GMOs and so forth, that when you're able to modify seeds to, to have it be like Roundup Ready, which is kind of an old issue right now, but but I assume you have to keep an eye on some of these technologies because as if genetics change, uh, and they can apply pesticides or you can have drift from pesticides and so forth. Um, uh, I would think that you would have to be keeping keeping an eye on these changing technologies that raise the bar, just not uh, not the same old challenges. There's new challenges that are popping up all the time. Well, I you know, it's a it's a great point about technology. And I think that technology is going to really help us um, as, as we look at um, being able to practice um, pest management in more sustainable ways. I was um, recently on a, on a tour where there was a demonstration of um, a piece of equipment that, that um, weeds autonomously <laughs> as sensors and can go through a field and pull weeds without the use of pesticides. And so, you know, I think that there's tremendous promise um, with technology that can help us minimize the use of pesticides. And, and so I think that's a really exciting um, place that we'll want to be focused on. And I think there are also potentially more precise ways of applying um, much smaller quantities of pesticides. So it's not just, I think, as we look to how do we, how do we manage pests more sustainably in the future, it's not just about developing um, new products. It's, it's also about new ways of, of, of managing pests through technology. 
What a great vision. And I'm glad I asked you that other question because uh, looking at these things that are the positive applications of technology, we do pretty well here in California. And looking at these new tools that in fact can help you do a more sustainable job of utilizing the protections that you need. Julie Henderson, I really appreciate your leadership and I'm glad you're at DPR and glad we've had this conversation. Let me end by asking you if people want more information on your programs, on the agency, on all these issues we've talked about today, where where can they look for that information? Um, well, Roger, thanks so much for having me today um, and for inviting me to share how people can get involved. And they can go to our, our, our website at cdpr.gov or search the California Department of Pesticide Regulation. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 